for leading us in worship, and thank you for singing in worship. You know that song, hallelujah. You know the word hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Thankfully, we can praise Yahweh today. I don't know about y'all. Are you tired? Wow, it's been a busy morning. I just want to pray just for a moment. Just ask the Lord just to help us to settle for just a moment. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to, to worship you and to be together and to be able to sing your praise and exalt your name. You're worthy. Thank you for all those who serve in so many different ways at our church and make services possible. And So we just give you thanksgiving. Right now, we just pray for you. Just give us a moment of stillness. Settle our minds and to focus on you. Focus on your word and hear clearly. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in 3 John this morning, and we're going to consider a man by the name of Gaius. This 3 John is a very brief letter, very short letter. It's the shortest book in the Bible. Uh, it's the, the, the whole book is only 14 verses. It's very brief. Some of you remember a lady by the name of Jewel Carmichael. Joel Carmichael drove from Florence to Dillon all the way up until she was 97 years old. And she went home to be with the Lord just a few years ago. Well, Jill Carmichael would call me every now and then. And one, one day she called me to congratulate me on being the lead pastor of First Baptist. But then she wanted to give me a little bit of advice, which she often liked to do. And so uh, she said, you know, you, you, you want to keep your, your sermon short. She said, brevity is the wit of life. That's Shakespeare. Now, don't think that she wanted to, for me to keep my sermon short because it was Shakespearean. She wanted me to keep my sermon short so she could get the Southern Fried. I told her I might disappoint her on that. I said, you know, I've only made the sermon longer because I haven't had time to make it shorter. That's Blaise Pascal. And so this morning, we are reading a very brief letter. It may be short, but it is powerful. It may be short, but it is packed. And so we're going to learn this morning about the greatness of of Gaius, a man named Gaius. Now, he was a very obscure man, but I do think that we can learn a lot about greatness from this very obscure man in 3 John. Now, we don't know exactly who Gaius was. I mean, Gaius was a very popular name uh, in, during that time period, so there were a lot of different people named Gaius, several in the Bible named Gaius. But we do know this, he was a great man. And I think if you were honest this morning, I think if you were transparent this morning, I think you would all say that you long for greatness. I mean, how many of you want a mediocre life? How many of you want a life that makes no difference? I mean, we all aspire to some level of greatness, don't we? I mean, how many of you long to stand before Jesus one day and for Him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. I mean, we all aspire to some level of greatness. But the question is, what makes a person great? Leonard Ravenhill wrote about a group of tourists who were visiting a very obscure little uh, village. It was not, a, not known for anything. It was just a hole-in-the-wall kind of village. And these tourists were there, and he was writing about these tourists. And he said that those tourists walked by a man sitting next to a fence, an older gentleman. And one of those tourists asked, one, asked that man in a very kind of condescending, condescending tone. He said, were any great men born in this village? And that old man said, nope, only babies. Only babies. No one is born great. Greatness is determined how you live, not where you're born. And so as we look at 3 John this morning, we're going to discover how to live a, a great life. 
And it's, we're going to start there in verse 1 of 3 John. It says, The elder, that's referring to the Apostle John, is the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. You send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. You will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Now, I, there's a lot of things I could share about this, this particular letter, but I just want to give you a few things that will talk about greatness. If you want to be great, the first thing is you need to live confidently. You need to live confidently. I don't mean egotistically. I mean you need to live confidently in the love and grace of Christ. If you want to be great, you need to live confidently. You know, Gaius was someone that I think every pastor would love to have as a member of his church. I think whenever the Apostle John thought about Gaius, he was encouraged. He was excited. I think when he, when he thought about Gaius, he said, you know, I just love that guy. He is awesome. He loved Gaius. And the Apostle John would think about Gaius, and I think he would think about him like I think about so many of you. I mean, when I think about you and your faithfulness and you know, your love and your commitment to Christ, well, it's encouraging. I think about how many of you I lean on for counsel and wisdom. That's encouraging. One person said, having Gaius as a church member is every pastor's dream. And I think every time the Apostle John thought about Gaius, I think he thanked God for Gaius. He thanked God. And so the reason that Gaius could live confidently is because he knew that he was loved. And when the Apostle John wrote to Gaius, he referred to Gaius four times. I don't know if you noticed this, but he referred to him four times as beloved. And look in verse 1. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Verse 2. Beloved. Verse 5. Beloved. Verse 11, beloved. John made sure that Gaius knew that he was loved. The beloved, that word beloved comes from the same Greek word that we get the word agape. It means to be loved greatly. It means to be loved unconditionally. It means to be loved sacrificially. And Gaius was loved by John, but more importantly, he was loved by Jesus. Have you ever thought about how much God loves you? Have you ever thought about that God loves you unconditionally? No matter how many flaws or failures or sins you've committed, God loves you no matter what. Someone said it like this. God loves you even when you don't love Him back. People will love you as you love them. People will love you because of who you are. But God loves you because of who He is. People will love you for who they think you are. But God will love you despite who you are. People will love you for what you have, but God loves you despite what you have. People will love you for how well you perform. And Jesus, I mean, God will love you because He is love. He loves you greatly. You are greatly 
loved. You know, in 1988, there was a pop group that came out called Millie Vanilli. Some of you might remember that group. It was the two singers, uh, two singers and dancers, Fabe uh, Morvan and Rob Pilatus. And these two men, they could sing, they could dance. I mean, they were entertainers. And they were impressive. And people loved them. I mean, they, they achieved international fame very quickly. People were enamored by their talent and their abilities. They won a Grammy in 1990. People loved them for who they thought they were. But as quickly as that popularity came, that popularity ended. During a live concert in 1989, they were singing one of their hit albums, hit hit songs, and as they were singing it, the soundtrack got stuck. And when it did, it repeated the same part of that song over and over and over, and they realized that these two guys weren't even singing. They were just lip syncing because it kept saying the same words over and over and over. And they realized they had been discovered. And one of them just ran off the stage because he didn't know what else to do. A few years ago, I saw a documentary about how they were exposed. And I was amazed at how many people loved them or infatuated by them. But the moment that they were revealed that they weren't singing the songs that they were claiming to sing, everybody turned their back on them. They began to hate them and despise them. I mean, when they, everybody thought they were popular, young girls would just throw themselves at these two young guys. But the moment they found out that they were frauds, they began to hate them and despise them. Fabe Morvan and Rob Pilatus were never able to overcome the shame that they faced. In fact, Rob Pilatus never could overcome his despair and his depression, and he died on a deathbed of drugs and alcohol. You know, people love them for their performance. People love them for their popularity and for who they thought they were. But that's not God's kind of love. You know, I think Rob Pilatus felt like that he could never be loved again. That's not God's kind of love. You might be here and you might think, hey, God can't love me. But God does love you despite your past, despite your failure. You know, when the world rejects you, God can receive you. This world might turn its back on you, but God will receive you. You know, you you cannot outsend the love of God. Did you know that? How great is God's love for you? When Jeremiah 31, 3, God says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's how much I love you. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were a sinner. In 1 John 4, 10, the apostle John wrote this, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin, to be the payment for our sin. That's how great God loves you. Now, greatness is not confidence in your own goodness. It's confidence in the grace of God. That's the confidence that we have. Even when you fail, God loves you. You might say, well, you don't know all I've done. No, I don't know all that you've done. But I do know this. I know that the grace of God is greater than all your sin. Do you know that song? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than what? All our sin. If you're going to be great, you live confidently in the love of Christ. Number two, if you're going to experience the greatness of Gaius, You need to set some priorities. Look at verse 2 for a moment. John said, Beloved, 
I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. You know, some theologians think that Gaius must have been physically uh, uh, unwell. He was not healthy physically. And so John writes to him, he said, Gaius, I want you to prosper in all things just like you are prospering spiritually. I want you to be as healthy physically as you are spiritually. Now that was a compliment to, to Gaius. So I think whenever John wrote to Gaius, he said, you know, you might be struggling, struggling physically, but you are a spiritual giant. And I want you to be as physical health, physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy. Let me ask you this question. How healthy would you be this morning if you were as healthy physically as you are spiritually? If you were in the same condition physically as you are spiritually, how healthy would you be? Now, for some of you, we might have to call EMS. For some of you, you might be physically strong, but you might be a spiritual invalid. For some of you, we might need to call Cooper Funeral Home. I don't know. But Gaius had a priority of spiritual prosperity. He put more emphasis on the spiritual than he did the physical. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, This outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now listen, Gaius took care of the inward man. But so often we so focus on the outward man, don't we? I mean, look at the things that we do to take care of the outward man. I mean, uh, uh, some people get liposuction. Some people will uh, get a facelift. Uh, some people will go to the gym and work out every day. People get manicures and pedicures and people get hair weaves. People do all kinds of things to work on the outside, the exterior. I mean, we eat right. We do things to, to work on the outward man, but this outward man is perishing. It's decaying the day by day. I heard about a four-year-old little boy who kind of got sunburned. You ever been sunburned? His skin began to peel. And so he started peeling and is peeling off this skin. He said, he said to his mom, I'm only four years old and I'm already coming apart. <laughs> I mean, this old body's just decaying. It's temporary. Now listen, it's not wrong to take care of your body. It's not wrong to take care of your health. It's not wrong to eat right and exercise. But what about your soul? Do you take care of your soul? Most of us spend a lot of time getting ready on Sunday mornings to come to church, and we're so thankful that you do. But what do you do spiritually to get yourself ready? Jesus asked in Mark 8, 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. You know, Jesus told a, 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 a story about a rich man. And you remember the story. This rich man was very prosperous. He was very wealthy. Things were going great. He planted crops and he got more yield from his crops than he could store in his barns. And he was breaking the bank. He thought, you know, I need to build some bigger barns. So he built bigger barns so he could make sure he could keep it all. And then after he built all those barns and he sat back that day, he said, you know, I'm doing great. I, I got a big bank account. I just need to take it easy, sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this man thought he was prospering. You know, some people think that when you're prospering financially, that means that, you know, God's blessing you. Did you know that prosperity, financial prosperity is not always a blessing? Have you ever known anybody who began to prosper financially and they begin to drift from God? 
They begin to kind of gradually walk away from God. I mean, some people start prospering financially and they drift. You know, you can break the bank and be spiritually poor. But let me just say this. If God blesses you, amen. I'm so thankful for how God's blessed so many people in our congregation. And so many of you use those blessings to further His kingdom. When God blesses you, say amen and use it for His glory. But we need to be careful not to let that prosperity become our idol and cause us to drift. Well, the Bible says that this rich man died. Can you imagine what people would have said about this man at his funeral? They would have said, hey, oh, Mr. Prosperity. He's such a wonderful man. I mean, he's got lots of vehicles. He's got Corvettes and BMWs and Mercedes. And he's got, he's got so many different types. of. He's got these uh, uh, elaborate vehicles. He's got uh, mansions all over the world. He has so many friends. I mean, he gives the best parties. I mean, dignitaries would speak at his funeral. And they would say, you know, what a wonderful person this was in our community. He gave so much to our community. But if you neglect to take care of your soul... That's not how Jesus would describe you. He sees beneath the veneer. He's not going to give accolades if you ignore your soul. He won't be impressed with all your friends or your bank account or your jet skis, your ATVs or your UTVs. In Luke 12, 20, it records what God said about the rich man. God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. If you want to have the greatness of Gaius, you need to make sure that you live confidently, but you need spiritual priority. You need to nurture your soul. I'm so thankful for our Wana leaders who are helping our young people nurture their soul by hiding God's word in their heart, aren't you? They're nurturing their souls. If you want to have the greatness of Gaius, you also need to walk righteously. Walk righteously. Look at verse 3. He said, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The Apostle John is saying, Gaius, some people have told me about you. They told me how you're living. They told me how things are going. And you know what they told me about you? They said, not only do you know the truth, but you live the truth. You walk in the truth. You walk righteously. I think every authentic Bible teacher, every preacher of the Word, can get no greater joy than to know that somebody learns the Word and lives the Word. That is such a joy. And that's what John said here in these verses. But there's also no greater heartache than to see people reject God's Word. There's no greater difficulty than to see people suffer because they refuse God's Word. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know how to grow righteously? Do you know how to walk righteously? Do you know how to walk in truth? You know, the very first thing you need to do if you want to walk in truth is to acknowledge your sin. The greatest hindrance to authenticity is refusing to acknowledge your sin to God. You know, so many people try to hide their sin, conceal their sin from God. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, Solomon said this. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You will never walk righteously until you are transparent with God about your sin. 
Now listen, walking righteously doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're sinless. There's only one perfect person who's ever been sinless. Gaius was not sinless. The Apostle Paul was not sinless. The Apostle John was not sinless. The Apostle Peter was not sinless. God knows you're not perfect. But He wants you to come clean and confess your sin to Him so He can set you free. 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But so many Christians aren't being honest with God. They kind of pray like this. If I've sinned, forgive me. Just forgive me all my sin. Well, what do you mean if? You haven't acknowledged your sin. You know, you just have a blanket prayer. I just want to cover all my sins. I'm not going to call anything out. I'm not going to name it. I'm not going to identify it. I'm just going to do a blanket prayer. Forgive me all my sin. Now, we need to acknowledge our sin before God. You will not change until you identify your sin. And you will not be free until you acknowledge it. You need to be transparent with God about your sin. Now, David understood the seriousness of sin. In Psalm 51, verse 2, this is what David said to God. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You know, you're... You know you're serious about your sin when your sin is always before you. And David said, my sin is always before me. And David began to hate this sin that's in his life. And he said it was always before him. And when your sin is always before you, you know it keeps you from pleasing God and you know it hinders your relationship with God. And David said, my sin is always before me. And when your sin's always before you, you want it washed away. You want it clean. You don't want to flirt with it. You want to be free from it. And let me just say this. If you are flirting with sin, you need to say, God, I need you to help me hate that sin in my life as much as you hate that sin in, in my life. Some of you know mine and Kathy's battle with Huntington's disease. And one of the problems that she has is she falls a lot. Not as much now as she used to, but it was a very frequent occurrence. If you've ever stayed with her, you know she falls. And you can't avoid it. At one time, we were on a first-name basis with the ER staff. Because we went a lot. And I didn't like having to go to the ER and stay there all night or you know, all day to get stitched or whatever we had to do. And I remember one Saturday night, it was late. You know, I knew I had to be at church early in the morning. And I was trying to get her ready for bed. I had her sitting in a chair. I said, just, just try to be still just a moment. Let me go get your clothes. And I turned around, and just about the time I did, I heard her hit the floor. And then I went over and picked her up, and sure enough, she had a laceration right across her face. I thought, gosh, we're going to be in the ER till who knows when. And it's just something we've done so many times. And I know you've never done this, but I said something I shouldn't have said. You ever done that? I know y'all are holy, but I am not. Jennifer's already called me out, and she said that the pastor does sin. And when I said that, I said, God, where did that come from? From your heart? You know, what comes out of your mouth is really in your heart, isn't it? It's just a symptom of really what's there. And the moment that I said it, and the moment that I said, God, where did that come from? 
I said, God, I need you to clean my heart. I need a clean heart. Don't you? We need to acknowledge our sin before God. I don't like what's in my heart sometimes. And you may not have thought anything about what I said, but I knew it was reflective of a bad heart. And I said, God, please cleanse my heart. I don't like what's in it. David said, my sin is ever before me. I don't like what's in my heart. Now, God, I want you to cleanse me. I want you to wash me whiter than snow. God wants to cleanse you if you'll just acknowledge your sin. You know, doctors can't medicate your sin away. Psychiatrists cannot counsel your sin away. Professors cannot educate your sin away. Did you know preachers can't preach your sin away? Scientists cannot develop anything that will wash your sin away. Only the blood of Christ can wash away your sin. The Bible says if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the Apostle John said in 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So there's a test of authenticity. And the test is, are you obedient to the word of God? Are you walking righteously? Are you walking in truth? First John 2, 4, John continues. He says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you want true greatness, then you will walk in truth. You walk, walk righteously. And Gaius walked in truth. Let me give you another key to true greatness. You live confidently. You set spiritual priorities. You walk righteously. But then you minister faithfully. Gaius was faithful in ministry to his church. Verse 5 says, Beloved, you do faithfully what you do for the brethren and for strangers. This is a man who was faithful in ministry. Whatever he did, he did it faithfully uh, without fail. Do you know that the ministry of First Baptist is contingent on you and the ministry that you have at First Baptist? That's why it's so important for you to be involved in the ministry of the church. It's not okay for you just to attend. You need to be invested in the ministry of the church. You know, your staff can't do everything that needs to be done. I hope you know that by now. The ministry of First Baptist Church is dependent on volunteer ministers. You know, I don't do any media in our church. We have a volunteer ministry team that does that. We rely on our volunteer ministry team to be greeters, to be ushers. You know, I don't play in the praise band. We got a ministry team that does that. I don't do that. You know, I don't minister to the babies in the nursery. We have a volunteer staff who takes care of our babies in the nursery. We have a volunteer staff who teaches our preschoolers and our children. And let me just say that right here. Uh, we need more of you to volunteer for our nursery. I hope you saw that this morning. We need you to volunteer for our Corona babies that are coming up. We affectionately refer to them as quarantinials. And we need some of you to volunteer and to be faithful to it. You know, our ministry enlistment team is meeting right now. And we're beginning to, to get people in place for the new church year that starts in September. And so they might be calling on you to serve in, in, a, in a capacity. You don't need to wait for somebody to reach out to you to serve. You need to say, I want to serve. Where can I be of use? Or maybe you know a place where you're gifted and maybe you just need to share it with the ministry enlistment team. 
And I'll just tell you who they are. Dana Hayes, uh, Jennifer Easterling, Hunter Jordan, Kitten Hamilton, Benton Henry. Find one of them and say, I want to be involved. I want to be in ministry. And when you volunteer, you need to be faithful and joyful. You know the name Gaius means joyful? Gaius was a faithful and joyful minister in the church. You know, the greatest advertisement for First Baptist Church is the volunteer staff members who minister faithfully and joyfully. Now, I do know this. I know you can't be here every Sunday. I know some of you work. Some of you have other things that come up every now and then. I know you can't be here every Sunday, but you need to serve faithfully. But I will say this. When you miss, when you're absent, your absence is noticed. Because our church is weakened when you're absent. Your presence speaks volumes. You contribute in so many ways. And when you're absent, the church suffers. And we need to remember when we serve, who we serve. We serve the King of Kings. Some of you know who William Carey is. He was called the father of modern missions. He served as a missionary in India. He became concerned about his son Felix... Felix felt like God wanted him to be a missionary. And so he was kind of lining up for that. But then he got distracted. He was appointed by the Queen Queen of England to be an ambassador to Burma. And William Carey wrote to one of his friends and he began to ask for prayer for his son. And this is what the prayer was. Pray for Felix. He has lowered himself as an ambassador of the British government when he should be serving the King of Kings. We serve the King of Kings. Of kings, We need to serve faithfully. And when you serve in the ministry at First Baptist, you're serving the King of Kings. And I know some of you can't be here for health reasons or work reasons, but if you can serve and you're not serving faithfully, then you're not being a faithful follower of Christ. Because we are in ministry together. Let me give you one last thing. Let me just, before I share that, I want to share this one thing. Lonnie Turner, his wife is in the hospital, Shirley. And Lonnie was here this morning. Lonnie always rings our bell for our connect groups. I don't know if you know that. He's the one who does it. But he always rings the bell. And he told me this morning, he, said, he told the hospital staff, he said, I've got to leave so I can go ring the bell at First Baptist. He said, I told them what time I'd be there. He said, I might fudge a little bit on the time this morning. But he's faithful. He's faithful. And God has called us to be faithful in ministry. And I want to give you one last thing, and that's to love sacrificially. In verses 5 through 8, the Apostle John talks about how Gaius loved the people in the church, not only in the church, but outside the church, how he loved pastors who were coming through, these itinerant pastors, and how he would take them in and, and show them hospitality. Last week we talked about Diotrephes and how he would not show hospitality, but he rejected people. And then we find here Gaius who loved people, he embraced people, he received people. He was very hospitable to those who came in. Do you know... That word hospitality in the Greek comes from two words. One is phileo, which means love. And one is xenos, that means stranger. Hospitality means to love the stranger. Love the the outcast, the the person who is not a part. Benton Henry told me a, a story last week about how someone showed him hospitality when he went to Australia. He was there visiting for whatever reason... But while he was there, he was in the airport and he met this older farmer. 
And this farmer said, well, you know, where are you staying? And Benton said, well, I don't have a place to stay yet, but I'm looking. He said, why don't you just come and stay with my family? You can stay with us for a few days. Benton didn't know this man, had never met this man. And uh, so Benton said, well, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I appreciate you, you know, taking me in. So this farmer drove him out to the middle of nowhere in Australia where nobody knew where he was. And Benton said he was sitting down with his family that night and they were just, you know, just having a conversation. And he said, you know, I just appreciate you taking me in. He said, you know, this is amazing. He said, but how did you know I wasn't a serial killer? And the son of that farmer said, how did you know we weren't a serial killer? (laughs) You know, but that was an amazing story about hospitality, reaching out to people. Well, Gaius did that. He took in strangers and he took care of them at his own expense. He loved people sacrificially. Did you know in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. You don't ever know when you might be entertaining an angel. They might be a a visitor, a guest at First Baptist. We never know. Do you ever wonder if you're entertaining an angel on Sunday morning? If that person sitting on the pew with you might be an angel? Do you know that we need to reach out to guests when they come to First Baptist and try to pull them in? Because that's what God's done for us, hasn't He? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says that you were a stranger to God's covenants. You were an outcast. You were outside, the Bible says. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. The Bible says that you were far off, but God brought you near by the blood of Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, I love this verse. It says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. Don't you love knowing that you are a member of the household of God, that you've been brought in, that you've been received, that you've been accepted, that's love. God loved you sacrificially. He reached out to you when you were a stranger. But you know, He also reached out to you when you were a sinner. We heard earlier about how these cubbies uh, know and understand the story of the prodigal son and the lost sheep. Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told the story of the lost uh, sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But do you know the catalyst that led up to that was in Luke chapter 1? It says that tax collectors and sinners came to Jesus so that they could hear Him. And in the very next verse, it says that the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain. And they said about Jesus, He receives sinners and then eats with them. Do you see how receptive that Jesus was to the outcast, to the stranger, to the sinner? Well, that's what Jesus has done for you and me. He has reached out to the sinner. He has reached out to the stranger and brought us in. And so as as members of First Baptist Church, we need to be looking for sinners to bring in. We need to be looking for people that bring into God's family. Just as eager and just as diligent. As we come to our time of invitation, do you reach out to, to the sinners? Are you reaching out to strangers? Are you reaching out to people who need God's grace? Where are you? Are you loving people sacrificially? Are you helping to make First Baptist a friendly church? We need to love sacrificially. So as we come to our invitation, I want to give you a few things to think about. Number one, are you living confidently in the love of Christ? 
Are you still carrying some unforgiven or, you, or some past guilt? And maybe you need to confess that this morning. And maybe you are carrying some, some guilt that God's already forgiven you of. And you just need to lay it down. And ask God to help you live in the confidence of His grace. Number two, are you taking care of your soul? You might be prospering financially or prospering with your health, but are you prospering spiritually? Maybe today you just need to say, God, I need to commit to taking care of my soul. I do a lot of things to take care of other things, but I need to take care of my soul. Are you walking righteously before God? Are you being honest about your sin? And maybe you would say this morning, I've got this sin in my life. I don't really want to get rid of it because I kind of nurture it. Maybe you need to ask God, will you help me to hate that sin as much as you do? Are you ministering faithfully and joyfully in the church? And maybe you just need to come and say, God, I want you to use me. What would you have me do? And lastly, are you reaching new people? Are you loving strangers and sinners? Are you trying to bring them into God's family? So there's some things to think about. As we come to our invitation, I want to ask you to close your eyes. Bow your heads for just a moment. A praise band's coming up. In just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. You respond how God leads you. But if God speaks to your heart, don't delay. You need to respond immediately. Because I'll assure you that our adversary will try to rob you. And you need to respond. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how clear it is, how compassionate it is, how convicting it is. Lord, I thank you for how hopeful your word is because it reminds us of your wonderful love for us. You love us unconditionally. You love us um, sacrificially. You have given yourself for us and demonstrated. And so right now, we just come to you and just recognize your love for us. I just pray that you help us to live confidently in your word and in your grace. Lord, I pray you help us to walk righteously before you, that we would please you and that we would be obedient to your commandments. Help us to confess our sin and be real before you. Lord, help us to live sacrificially and love sacrificially. Help us to be ministering faithfully. As we come to this time, Lord, we just ask your Holy Spirit to work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? Do every question.